Hello, we're at MTech. 15 to Life, 2015, TornadoCon, 15-to-Life uh, boat, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. um, we are happy to be joined by Sunny Street. Sunny, thank you so much. Uh, I know you've been incredibly busy this week, and so we appreciate you taking the time. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me out. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, the tornado was interesting because the last time I was here was for the 10th anniversary, and it was the flood con. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So th thanks, Sunny. For I think I'm a bit of a weather, weather wizard, and I like uh, disasters. But the great thing was is that Micah and I had a uh, comic book panel, and usually comic book panels and anime cons are not the biggest panels. But during the tornado scare, everyone had to take shelter in our room. It was the biggest comic book panel at an anime con ever. <laughs> I think there was like 700 people in there. It's a great panel. I'm surprised the fire marshal didn't shut you guys down. It's what crazy. are you going to do? Throw them out into the tornado? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. There's too many people in here. Pick who dies. <laughs> you, you make that call. I will yeah. not. So what have you been working on? Uh, a lot of things. Um, recently started directing again at Funimation. I took a break from directing years ago. Uh, someone from Tokyo Pop uh, came to me at a convention and liked my ElfQuest art and said, uh, do you have anything for us? And I pitched this idea and they ended up publishing it. It was a series called We Shadows. And it was actually nominated by the American Library Association for Best Graphic Novel of 2008. And uh, got great reviews. And then they paid me to do book two, and they folded. Uh, so I never saw print. And what I then, then, once I got my rights back, I started putting it online at weshadows.com. You can check it out still. And it got a lot of, a uh, huge following. And I finished uh, telling what I wanted to say with it and realized I didn't have anything else to say in comics. Uh, although Wendy Peeney, the creator of ElfQuest, has now started doing ElfQuest again for Dark Horse Comics. And they needed a colorist. And she asked me if I would like to do it. And I said, are you kidding? I'd love to do that. So now I'm a colorist at Dark Horse as well. But I'm not drawing comics as much now. And so I still have some free time. And I've got to fill up every amount of waking hours with something. Otherwise, I will go nuts. And uh, Funimation asked me if I would like to come back and direct uh, the new broadcast dubs. And I said, sure. And I'm directing this really cool show. It's called Maria the Virgin Witch. It takes place during the... Uh, Hundred Year War between France and England, and uh, Maria. It's kind of like um, Joan of Arc if she had actually been a witch, you know. And she actually even mentions uh, Joan of Arc as well and compares herself to her, at least in the part that she thinks she'll get burned at the stake if she goes to town. Um, and I'm also starring in a show called Assassination Classroom, and I play Koro Sensei, the permanently smiling, uh, tentacled guy who doesn't really do tentacle porn for some reason. It's a typecasting. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Although I, I, I'm not above tentacle porn. Uh, I, I'm glad you're keeping it classy. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, you've been working on Elfquest for a while, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I met Wendy Peeney um, back in 2000, I think it was. I was doing a convention at Comic-Con, and it was the first big convention that the Dragon Ball Z actors went to. And they put our table next to her table, and it turns out she was a huge fan of Dragon Ball Z. So she started drawing pictures of our characters with her characters. So I thought I would surprise her because I'd already been published. She didn't know this. And I drew her main character cutter and gave it to her, and she hired me on the spot to draw ElfQuest. She said that was the most on model she's ever seen. So I said, okay, cool. And it was a really amazing experience because I thought about it, and I'd always felt that my artwork had kind of hit a ceiling 
And I always wanted to study under a master as an apprentice. And so I asked her, can we change the terms? Can I be your apprentice? And she said, really? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, yeah, move out to California. So I moved out to California. I flew back once a month to record Krillin on Dragon Ball Z. And uh, I would draw a page a day for her. And she'd say, this works. This doesn't work. And she'd tell me why. And the greatest learning experience of my life. I mean, to this day, I still hear her voice in my head when I draw. That's excellent. Mm -hmm. um, going back to the other project that you mentioned, you know, directing on the broadcast dubs and working on uh, the broadcast dub for Assassination Classroom. Mm -hmm. um, I have to say, I really love the concept behind the broadcast dubs. It's it's very 21st century. It's very, you know, it, it seems like dubs have finally caught up with with the rest of the anime industry, and that you know, there's a demand for giving people what they want as soon as possible. And the even the subscription model is very reasonable. I mean, it's you uh -huh. know, on, on yeah. par with Netflix. Plus, you get all the other great filmation stuff from the past. So I totally agree. And the great thing, as far as as actors, is it doesn't give a lot of time for the listeners to get a preconceived notion of how it should be, quote unquote, mm -hmm. because, you know, you get used to a certain sound right. and, uh, but now we're coming out like right on top of them. So it's like, you really don't have time to, you know, judge it. They judge us on our acting alone now, which is nice. I'm curious what the unique challenges are both on the acting and the directing side and working on those broadcasts of, because you know, you're obviously on a very tight schedule. Now she calls saying as my wife. Oh. <laughs> Hang on, I have to call you back. Bye. Okay. That's okay. <clears throat> anyway, to go back, I was, I was wondering what the specific challenges were in working on broadcast dubs on, on both the directing and the acting side, because I'm sure you're on a very tight schedule and there's some, some challenges that you don't normally face. Yeah, uh, for me, the, the real challenge has been uh, not so much directing and acting, because I've been doing that forever, but it's the... Um, the new way we direct and act, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, it's a, there's all new forms. There's all new computer things that have to be filled out and things like that. So it's, I've had a crash course in, in learning how, uh, the minutia of actually processing what we've done is done there. Um, but other than as far as just acting and directing, no, that's, that seems to come natural to me. Oh, good. Mm -hmm. Um, let me ask you this. What first, you know, sort of drew you towards acting. I know you obviously also have a love of art, but what, what were sort of the influences and things that, that made you want to pursue those, you know, first as a hobby and then later as a career? I think it was first my uh, father. Um, when I was about four years old, he taught me how to talk like Donald Duck. And uh, he used to come home from work and go, Hi, Charlie. And uh, I just watched him and how he did it and everything. And I remember I was four years old, just spending the whole day going, Okay, okay, hello, hello. Until I could get it. And then he came home and went, Hi, Shoggy. And I went, Hi, Daddy. And he went, Shoggy, Daddy. <laughs> and uh, he did a lot of just impressions of cartoon characters just for fun. You know, he's like, Okay, now I'll do Mickey Mouse. Huh? He did all these different voices and stuff. And, uh, and I really just did it to, to make him laugh, you know, make my mom laugh. And then I got fascinated with the Muppets and uh, bought my own Muppets. I made my own Muppet movie before the first Muppet movie, which uh, is a very similar plot. I mean, Miss Piggy was also in a beauty contest in mine, but uh, the first runner-up ends up shooting her. <laughs> and uh, 
So it's a little different than the than the Muppet movie, but uh, I and I did I did a lot of recordings. I, when I remember when I was about twelve, I started recording my voice a lot, and I wanted to be on TV in some form. And I would play my voice back, and I had this real thick Texas accent, you know, because like everybody in my family does, right? And I was like, well, people on TV don't talk like that, so I got to figure out how to change that voice. And so uh, I worked on it a lot. And now when I do the Texas accent, I feel like I'm faking it, you know. So I have no real personality. It's all just fabricated over there, years. Yeah. There, there, is, there is no Sully, only no. the characters he portrays. And, and yes, and this fabrication of, of persona that I just say hi to people with, you know. Sully himself is a character. I, was, I did a lot of the Lupin the Third movies. Mm-hmm. And Lupin the Third is uh, like my voice, just a little more sw- uh, swarmy like this. And after you do that for about eight hours and you come home, uh, my wife would be like, uh, loop on the day? And I went, huh? What do you? Oh, right. How do, how do I speak? I think I speak like this. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is my voice. This is the one most people are comfortable with, so I'll stick to that. <laughs> That's truly fantastic. Um, who would you say has had the biggest impact on your career in terms of professional development or encouragement or something uh, you know, along those lines? Well, my parents are always very encouraging in the arts. Like uh, my mother drew. And that's so, I, I kind of, my career was sort of set for me. My whole path was set because she encouraged me to draw when I was very young too. Um, but uh, also, I mean, I was hev- heavily influenced by Mel Blanc uh, and um, a lot of comedians uh, of that time, like Robin Williams and Steve Martin and those guys. Um, but also Monty Python was a huge influence on me. Uh, and that also helped me get rid of the Texas accent because I would uh, do the... Stop calling me. Um, I like I saw the Holy Grail came on television several times, and they said it was coming up again. So I recorded the whole movie, and then I transcribed the movie, just wrote it out by hand, uh, and so it actually taught me how to write, which was a really good thing too, because you start seeing the structure when you just rewrite something that's already there. And uh, and I started doing my own skits. I started doing my own Monty Python skits, even with the uh, funny voices and stuff. Wow. Yeah. Um, I was a weird kid. I, you know, I get that a lot from actors. Yeah, most of us are pretty weird. I get get a lot of Mel Blanc. I go, yeah, I was a weird kid. So, Mm -hmm. what's one of the earliest things that you can remember um, that maybe you might even still have on tape somewhere uh, that you first were, you know, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I I know you say you're starting with your your dad, you know, just the back and forth. But do you have an old VHS tape that you recorded over or something like that? Uh, I wish to God I had it. I wish I had that old Muppet movie. I wish I had the, re- the tape recordings I did. I mean, hours and hours of these tape recordings, and I can't find any of them. But then I was a complete slob. Uh, and so things just got eventually destroyed and thrown away. You know, my floor was carpeted with all kinds of junk, you know. And my mom, about once a year, she just couldn't take it. and She'd clean it out with a steamroller or something and whatever it took to clear it out so no i don't have anything mm. yeah i'm a little less of a slob now but when i get busy i you can see the slob stuff start kicking in so with comics mm-hmm. uh, have you found a lot of correlation between your anime fans and your comic fans a few there's not a lot of crossover tend to People who are fans, uh, they tend to be fan of a certain thing, you know, and that, that becomes their religion, you know, like anime fans are religious. Now, you're shaking your head because you probably are fans of everything. 
But, but, and I think everyone should be. I mean, my God, we have the internet. We have access to so many cool things. And that's the way I am too. I mean, I'm not just into comic books. I'm not just into American comic books. And I'm not just, I love American comic books. I love manga. I, lo- I really love French comic books and Belgian comic books and English comic books. I, I mean, just any of them. I mean, I just love the art itself. Uh, and I love all kinds of animation. Um, but there are certain people that, I mean, a lot of people who don't cross over, you know, even to this day. And there's some people who just won't go beyond J. Michael Tatum. And that's really weird. <laughs> so, so even though we do have the internet as a comic yeah. Yeah. creator, do you prefer digital or physical comics? Well, uh, you know, since I came from a physical comic background, that's all I wanted to do. As a matter of fact, I resisted Photoshop when I was working with Wendy um, originally. And she said, you need to learn to do this. This is the future. You know, this is back in 2000. <laughs> Whatever. I like to get my hands dirty. And now I, I've got so proficient at this that she asked me to be the colorist for ElfQuest. Um, and I can't live without it now. Um, and I think it makes my work better that I have that access. But I still do like to draw by hand occasionally. But I have now um, a Cintiq, you know, which is like the screen you draw on. Like the um, greatest monitor in the world? Yeah, it is. it is. It's amazing. Although the one I want is the next stage up from that, and it's one that you can carry anywhere. It's called the Companion, and it takes pictures. It has its own hard drive. You get into the internet on it and everything. That's the next. But that was like over three grand, you know. But Which is really just a giant version of your phone. Exactly, with- except that it, it uh, you can draw on it better than you can on your phone. Today. You know? <laughs> Today, yeah. Oh, yeah, give it five years and then, you know, 200 bucks, everybody will be able to do this. But for right now, it's going to be $3,000. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I corporate both. I, it took me a long time, though, before I, I really – I coloring, okay, you know, because that's pretty standard to color with Photoshop and Painter and all that. But um, drawing, actually – you know, because it took me two years to master using a brush and then master using a quill uh, to ink with. I mean, these are, these are skills that develop. And so I was afraid that if I did it on the Cintiq, you know, it wouldn't have the same organic feel to it. But eventually I got to the point where I couldn't, I would look at it and say, did I do that digitally or did I do this by hand? And when I realized that, I was like, then I should just do it digitally because I can't tell the difference. If I can't tell the difference, no one else can. So when you start out with Wendy, I'm guessing that... Mm-hmm. Using a, uh, a touch-enabled monitor like you probably do mm-hmm. Cintiq didn't exist. No. The barrier between drawing here and the image popping up on the screen, was that mm-hmm. something hard for you to overcome? Well, when I first started uh, coloring for ElfQuest just two years ago, what I had was a bamboo. Uh, and this thing is you draw on the, this little pad and you look at the screen as you're yeah. drawing it, right? And I remember complaining about it on Facebook that I really need to get a Cintiq, you know. And um, Richard Peeney, Wendy's husband, uh, called me up and said, well, if you were to get this, how would it, would it help ElfQuest? And I said, well, yeah, because I'd have more time because it would be a lot faster just drawing on the screen. So I'd be able to put a lot more detail work in it. And he said, well, if, um, if, you were to, if I were to get you one, would you be able to make money at using this in other areas than just ElfQuest? And I said, yeah, probably. And he goes, well, how about this? How about I split the cost with you? And because I'll do anything to make ElfQuest look as good as it can look. And I said, okay. So we went half, halfies on the, the Cintiq. So it, it turned out really good because at the time I couldn't afford it, especially it was at Christmas time. So well, they're, they're ridiculously expensive. Right. They start out at $1,800 for like a 15 inch and go. But it completely changes your life as an artist to have, to be able to draw on a screen like that. Yeah. 
Let me ask, was there ever, as, as you know, you're coming along professionally, was there ever a moment where you thought to yourself, you know, maybe this isn't going to work out, maybe I'm not going to have that opportunity, I don't have to pursue something else, or was, were you always fairly confident that you'd be able to do what you, what you really wanted to? Uh, comics is, is always a struggle, even for professionals, because... Um, first of all, it doesn't pay anything. You know, you make a lot more money doing storyboards for video games or animation or even just commercials. Um, and the same with, turn this off. This is going crazy. Um, but, uh, but I was always confident I could find some kind of work because, um, I, I worked as a portrait artist for years and I did a lot of commercial artwork. Um, so and, and I know I'm confident in my abilities and my skills, and I know that I have skills that are useful for people. Um, but it took maybe about about eight years before, and I started back in 1988 professionally, before I, I felt completely confident I would find some kind of work if I needed it. Right. Now, when it comes to acting, though, that's that's really risky. I mean, that's a most people who want to be actors, and there are millions of them, right? Uh, only 2% of the, the group I've heard ever make any money from acting and of that two percent only two percent of that two percent make a living at it so your your odds are stacked against you to me i remember uh talking to a cartoonist friend of mine um and i said you know it's really funny to say this but uh because for for me at the time acting was actually a more stable career than cartooning right and he said oh ain't that the truth but uh so yeah, in Funimation, when I first first started working at Funimation, I thought this was a fad. I yeah. thought this is a this is going to last for about maybe two years, and then I'm going to have to go back to commercial art, you know, so I can pay my bills and stuff like that. I had no idea they would keep going and going, and we're going on 20 years now. Yeah. You know, it's just amazing that we're still around and still doing this stuff, and it's bigger than it's ever been. And a lot of it, I I do credit Funimation for, because uh, there were times when that the industry looked like. Uh, it was going to fold, you yeah. know, and uh, Funimation made some really savvy decisions. Yes, they did. One of the things they did is they started carrying, uh, dis- uh, getting into distribution. Mm-hmm. So all these companies out there, we started carrying their stuff. And um, so when they did well, we did well. So we stayed afloat that way. And, and again, uh, t- made some really remarkable business moves too. I mean, he uh, sold Funimation to a company called Navarre. I think it was for I think it was listed as uh, for ten million dollars or something like that. Then Navarre, but Navarre kept him on as CEO. Then Navarre uh, invested in this huge space that we're in now, right? And then they started to tank, and they were going to um, sell all of their assets, including Funimation. And by this time, again, had already bought the majority of the shares in the company. And he said, well, you can't because I own the majority of the shares. And he said, but uh, I'll buy it from you for $2 million. And uh, so basically made an $8 million profit and increased the space on, at Funimation. And he's still at the top. It's freaking genius. That's that what is, it is. Yeah. That's incredible. And, and to, to his credit, um, Funimation was one of the first, if not the first, to really embrace streaming. Yeah. Uh, oh, and by the way, those numbers are probably off. Probably. But I know it's that that kind of it's ratio. It's a giant sum of money. Yeah. We'll, we'll source Big it. ratio. We'll source yeah. it. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. People have Google now. It's, it's fine. Right. And uh, also their promotion work at conventions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they got really involved in, in getting the word out there. And 
um, and on their websites and stuff like that. So much so that these broadcast dubs now, it's practically its own channel. It's like, you know, Netflix or something, yeah. right? Just a, at the Funimation channel. Right. You get everything that you want and you get to see it before anyone else. Yeah. And and you get access to all their other stuff that they've got mm-hmm. available, which is quite a bit. So it's, yeah. it's really good. Yeah. And, they, we, and they've got a really smart machine of a team working for them, you know? Yeah. It's, and it's really good because, you know, like you said, it was... There are some serious questions about where the U.S. anime industry was going to be, mm-hmm. and uh, they made they made the right moves, they made the correct decisions, and and then uh, some some smart uh, smarter ones on top of that. You know, like what you're talking about with Navarre. But uh, mm-hmm. it's it's good to see them doing well. It's good to see them doing strong strongly and innovating. With and it's good to see that the Cartoon Network went back to uh, promoting anime. For a while, they were uh, trying to uh, like get rid of anime on Cartoon yeah. Network, you know? And I was like, really? Because this is what really puts you on the map, you know? So it was good to see that they came back to it. I remember, uh, just speaking briefly, you know, on, on the Adult Swim tangent, there was one, I think it was one week, they did a Saturday where, where they took off what little anime they were showing. They took it all off. Mm-hmm. And that was when they were still showing, like, their, their weekly ratings uh, every week because they used to do that. I think around the time that Full Metal Alchemist was running, mm-hmm. um, which which was a really strong show for them. But then they took all their anime off and they showed their range and they're like, okay, we get it. And, mm-hmm. and then the next week they had anime back. Well, in these days, it's also, I mean, they had a rating system before, you know, but the best rating systems we have now are things like Twitter, you know? Exactly. And like, uh, you know, I play Usopp on One Piece and he uh, is also has the superhero guise of the Sniper King. And the week that he has, he sings his own theme song was the day before Father's Day. And on Father's Day, uh, Sniper King was trending second place right behind Happy Father's Day. So that tells you ratings, the the kind of ratings that you're getting. And this news was by Cartoon Network. They're now... They're watching this carefully, and they they put oh look who, who, how we're trending we're trending all over the place, and, and it's it, because of anime. Yeah, and it's good that they're that they're using those metrics because the mm-hmm. way that we watch TV now is different. I mean, Toonami comes on; it starts at midnight and mm-hmm. goes on through through late at night. So the way that we watch changes. You know, some people still watch live, or or you know they'll go on and stream it later. Or, you know, DVR and that sort of thing. So the traditional Nielsen system doesn't doesn't work and it probably never did work no no, it it was just shot in the dark but now we know you know with you can easily look at trending uh twitter stuff and go this is what people are watching this is what people are talking about you know right so what are some of your interests outside of you know acting and drawing or do you have is that is is that all that that there is or do you have other stuff that you like to do i uh love my family and my wife and daughter and uh that's not they're not that wife project coming along it's all right yeah that's, that's i was able to spend like three hours with that wife project last week and it was pretty good it's coming along great yeah she's, she's coming along fine yeah yeah i'm getting my my uh, husband skills down yeah i've, 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 I've leveled up in the husbanding and yeah she's a little sassy but we'll work on that next week well honestly all of my hobbies became jobs you know and so i really have very few hobbies even like um I started a band with my wife, and um, then we started playing at conventions and started making money off of it. I was like, oh, great, another hobby that has turned into a job. Because we really were just doing that for fun. Yeah. And we played a lot of gigs. You don't make any money at uh, local gigs uh, in a band. 
but you can make it money at a convention with a band. I mean, we, we all pulled in, uh, close to a thousand dollars just for a convention gig we did. And I was like, another hobby turned into a job. Was that White Girl? Yeah, it's White Girl. Okay. Yeah, you can check out White Girl. We are our new incarnation of our music. Our originals are at uh, whitegirlstudios.com. That was didn't your old one used to be like White Girl Fun or something like that? That was on MySpace. MySpace.com forward slash White Girl Fun. Yeah. That was we'd say that in in a break in one of our songs. Oh, that's that's a tremendous that's tremendous name. Yeah, White Girl. That's because. We started out um, doing a tribute band to a band called uh, X, and X was a punk group in the 1970s, and they have some really great songs, but they got really strung out on heroin and kind of went left. But the music is awesome. And so we, we would just do their songs, and one of their songs was a song called White Girl, and so we decided to call the band White Girl. There you go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my wife's a white girl, so... That's how it gets. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Thing is, though, when you start you, uh, looking it up on Google, you know, you get all kinds of things come up when you look up just white girl. <laughs> yeah, or white girl fun. Right, white girl fun. Yes, all kinds of amazing just, things can come up. Just yeah. pro tip: go turn off your safe search on Google. Right. <laughs> Maybe go into incognito mode for this one, guys. <laughs> and, uh, just, just see what comes up. I'm really just looking for a band. <laughs> You guys have questions? So, okay. one of the first things that everybody wakes up in the morning, they first. Oh, thing. God, Rusty. No, no, no. One of the first things they do is they grab their smartphone. Mm-hmm. What's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning when you look at your smartphone? What, what are you looking for? Facebook? Are you looking for Twitter? Are you looking for what is Funimation doing? Or how am I trending? Or what do you. Lately, I look and see what's on my schedule because there's a lot of last minute schedules of bookings because these uh, broadcast dubs come out every week. Yeah. And so we got to make sure that these actors are here on time. It, you, yeah, I mean, it used to be I just check Facebook and my email or whatever, you know. And now it's like, okay, what fires do I have to put out right now? Or when do I got to get to work? And sometimes it's the very last minute, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm pretty much like everyone else Facebook and Twitter. So with uh, the comic side and, of course, the anime side, you're now doing broadcast. Mm-hmm. There's let's say for the past decade, been this kind of push to get motion comics yeah. to be a popular form. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you started any? And then where do you see that market expanding more than what it is, or do you see it as kind of a, you're probably just going to wait for a real TV episode or you're going to wait to read a comic? I, I like to read, uh, I personally, I'd rather have the hard copy of anything. And if I'm reading it online, I don't want it to be manipulated by someone else's eyes because to me, the art of comics is, part of the art of comics is you're looking at uh, movement of time all in one spot. I mean, you see the the beginning of this time or the end of this time, or depending, you can reverse time too in comics as well. But time is a very important factor. And that's why people love comics because you have, you go at the pace you want to go at, you know. Um, it's like looking at a painting as in a movie at the same time. So if you want to study this more, you can go back to it. Or like, whoa, whoa, that was really great impact. And you can kind of do that when you're watching a movie, like rewind and fast forward and stuff like that. But you have instant access in a comic book page. And the thing with motion comics is that they, they move things around, like they do the arm, like limited am- animation, stuff like that. And I guess it's an art in and of itself. But to me, it is not comics. I mean, the purity of comics is is being able to witness all of time and space at once. And I think that's where the real magic of it is, when people really 
what they really get in, uh, get in, get out of comics. It's that. It's that ability to uh, manipulate time that way. What do you think about, especially with we have Marvel and DC in the big two, sure, and then Image is coming up with mm-hmm. mostly creator-owned comics, mm-hmm. which I've seen some that are okay, but generally what I, it looks like is just bad animation, you know. Uh, well, I was I was thinking more of the actual comics with a lot of the creator owns now mm-hmm. going almost toe to toe with Superman and Spider Man. Oh on a yeah, basis. Yeah, yeah, and I, but you know that's always coming comes and goes. I mean, like when ElfQuest was uh, hit its first major stride back in I think it was in the eighties. At one point, they were out selling X Men, you know, and uh, this is an independent published company, you know, by mom and pop shop basically. Uh, so these, these kind of trends come and go all the time. The thing about Marvel and DC is they have probably the most amazing lasting power of anybody, you know, so they'll have their heydays and then they'll have their low points and stuff like that. But it is always amazing to me when an underdog kicks their ass, even though I've worked for DC and now a dark horse. Uh, Dark Horse is really, it's kind of hard to call it an underdog anymore. It's been, it's been around so long. They it's, own Hellboy, too, so that's yeah. kind of... Hellboy, they did The Mask, you know, and they, they have a lot of uh, connections with the movie industries as well. I mean, they started out going the other way. They got um, a Alien, you know, the right to do the comic books. Mm-hmm. They had Star Wars. And they did, well, yeah, before that, though, they had Alien and they had Predator. And then they had this great idea. We own the comic book rights of Alien and Predator. Let's do Aliens versus Predator. And then Aliens versus Predator went to the movies. And so they, they definitely got this ping pong game back and forth now at the movie industry. And it's, it's kind of cool to see. Anything else, guys? Or is Rusty Gas another one? Oh, no. 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 <laughs> No, I'm putting the kiwash on this one. No, we're not talking about the wakey app. Just stop. The what? No. Okay, no, fine. No. All right. Wakey up before you go-go. There is an app that Rusty was telling us about earlier this morning, and it's called Wakey, W-A-K-I-E. Mm-hmm. And it is essentially a service in which uh, you set an alarm on the app, and someone from somewhere around the globe will call you to wake you up. It's a 60-second phone call. It's supposed to be completely anonymous. It's like a profile pic- picture, maybe like a first name or something like that. Mm-hmm. But there's no phone number information or anything. It's basically just a automatic dialer. It's like a, it's, it's like a call a, a call center for alarm for for wake Just up imagine calls. you're on your Twitter and someone on Twitter that you may or may not follow will wake you up in the morning by giving you a little tweet, but via phone call. Yeah. So, do they get your phone number? No, no it's no, all no, done no. via the app. Hmm. So it's all it's all done within the app, and you can either, you know, get a wake up call or choose to call somebody. And why you would do this, I don't know. Because it's fun. Does it does it sound like it's something horrifying to you? No, uh, it does sound horrifying. It just sounds like people need better hobbies. That is that <laughs> is factually correct. Yeah. It's gonna turn into a money maker for you. Can you make? You can't make money off. It's not like uh, what is the the car service Uber? Uber. Yeah, that you can make money at, right? Yeah. Well, if we had a voice well, actor we, wake you up, uh, you could charge. Well, was, was See, that's that. what I'm saying. Yeah, if they were paying me to call people and wake them up, I'd do that every day. Yeah. Well, one of our one of our outlets here is maybe they're talking about you know we can just record us you know. Making doing these calls. calls. Yeah. They'll make money off. Anime Sure. Yeah. But <laughs> it is, 
is extremely bizarre. Thank you guys for bringing that into this. What would you charge for something like that? I'd like a phone call oh. where, like, it's a personalized phone call. Where, yeah. right? like, so probably five bucks. I feel no, like it's not personalized. It's a stranger no, but if calling. It's a stranger calling you. If Sony's, if Sony's calling them, it's a personalized phone call. Right. If if they if they were asked specifically for a specific voice actor, you would probably well, you, charge more than five. Well, yeah, you could you could. Yeah. That's one thing. I mean, because first of all, you have to get up in the morning, which is ridiculous, <laughs> and then and then you got to talk to strangers and stuff. So, yeah, I would charge probably about twenty bucks for a thirty second call. That sounds. Yeah. That sounds so, so if you're at a comic convention, you now know. <laughs> if you, if you want to subscribe, tweet. Uh, tell me on Twitter that you want me to um, wake you up in the morning, and we'll work out something. You know, I'm saying twenty dollars is the. Uh, the opening price because the company's just now starting out but once we start <laughs> rolling with this uh, Sunny Wake Shoe uh, company uh, then it's probably going to go up a little bit higher so get in now can, while can the prices are low is what I'm saying like a subscription service yeah and, 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 and you know you can choose the voice too that I wake you up and it can be uh hello good morning it's Krillin waking you up come on we gotta save the day Goku where are you you know stuff like that um, and, and if it's Usopp I'm going to charge more because his voice really hurts so Keep that in mind. If you want Maze Hughes, you might get a discount because it's practically my own voice. <laughs> so with Krillin, since yeah. you've done Dragon Ball Z for a million years, uh, forever at this yeah. point, at some point, if someone just come up and ask you, be like, "Can you do Krillin going Super Saiyan?" Yeah, I can do that. But uh, Krillin doesn't go Super Saiyan because he's human. But fan, fans will. Uh, but you. here's the thing, though. Let me tell you this. I as I started out in theater, and, and theater people like to write histories of their characters and stuff like that. And I've written a history for Krillin that fills in the gaps that aren't uh, that we don't know about. Now, Krillin comes in Dragon Ball Z as a kid, so we know a lot about his life. But he came from like a temple that was kind of like a Shaolin monk, but they don't call it that. But we don't know anything before that. Why was he at a temple when he was so little? You know, although a lot they do bring in kids. Here's my theory: Popeye the sailor was sailing like some Asian coastline and knocks up this beautiful village girl. And then he goes on his merry way. He's off, right? And so now this girl's knocked up and she's shames her family and everything. So she takes the baby and deposits the baby at the Shaolin Temple. Now that's all we need to know. Because that explains why he, as a little kid, he was going toe-to-toe with Goku, an alien that's practically Superman. He could keep up with him, right? It also explains his voice because it's practically Popeye on helium. And also, I think... That if Krillin would just eat some spinach, he could go Super Saiyan, even though he's human. But that's just a theory. <laughs> well, okay, I think that's a good place to go out on. <laughs> but before you do, uh, where can people follow you? Twitter, Facebook, etc. At Sunny Straight, S O N N Y S T R A I T. And you can also, uh, it's hard to get on my Facebook because it's maxed out, but um, definitely follow me on Twitter. All right. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you, guys.